Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners. During the history of this show, I've highlighted several major Canadian UFO events, and in doing so have attempted to focus on the more reasonable discourse that surrounds them. I'm thinking about past episodes like the ones about Shag Harbor, Falcon Lake, and Clarenville, Newfoundland. In my opinion, these are some of Canada's most deserving of intelligent discussion and public attention. But admittedly, there's something they all lack. And I'm, of course, talking about that tabloidy intrigue that features shadowy figures risking life and limb to expose an even shadowier government cover-up. Well, tonight's UFO case may not be as credible as Canada's big ones, but what it lacks in proof, it makes up for ten times in pure, unadulterated sci-fi tropes. The Carp case, which is also known as the Guardian case, is easily among Canada's most infamous UFO stories. Although the meat and potatoes of the story is widely considered to be a hoax, it was effective enough to have the story and its central figures featured on a long list of high-profile television documentaries. The Carp Ontario UFO case widely centers on an anonymous whistleblower using the name Guardian, who for a period of time in the late 80s into the early 90s sent strange packages to UFO researchers around the world claiming that the world's governments were attempting to cover up the crash of an extraterrestrial craft just outside of Ottawa. The packages included a rambling manifesto, photographs of what was said to be aliens, and perhaps most interesting, it included a VHS tape that contained video of what was supposed to be a landed flying saucer. Despite significant attempts at the time, the Guardian, nor any evidence of an extraterrestrial craft, were ever discovered. But people sure tried. In fact, they're still trying today. This case, the CARP or Guardian case, is just now, almost 30 years later, about to get its moment in the sun. CBC has just premiered its documentary on the case, titled UFO Town. And, well, it's as fascinating as this bizarre story. And we're about to get into it tonight. Our guest is just the fella to walk us through this case. At present day, Ian Rogers is an author. But in the early 90s, when the investigation into the Guardian case was active, Ian was a teenage UFO investigator and, well, he managed to walk right into the middle of one of Canada's most bizarre cases. It was filled with egos, half-truths, and of course, allegations of an intergalactic cover-up playing out in small-town Ontario. The CBC documentary UFO Town was largely based on Ian's research on the case. And tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, Ian Rogers is going to walk us through his experiences with the CARP Ontario, aka The Guardian, UFO case. Ian, 
Ian, I'm so happy to have you on the show. You're, I guess now you're not only a UFO investigator, but you're like a, a budding TV star. I think uh, we're about two or three days out from you being a certified UFO TV star. Is that fair to say? Oh, I would... I knew that I had shot a lot of footage with them, but with any any TV thing, you don't really know how much they're going to end up using. So even when they they told me that I was, uh, I think the term they used was a central figure in in the documentary. I, I still didn't completely believe them until I, uh, my wife and I got a bit of a, a sneak preview, um, advanced look at this thing a couple of weeks ago, mm. and uh, I have to admit I had a I had a bit, I had a drink, I had an alcoholic beverage with me to sort of settle the nerves because I was very nervous to see it. And um, if, if you've already seen it, then you know that I'm in it quite a bit. So yeah. uh, a lot of people don't really know about this. My family, uh, my parents know, my, my, my wife knows, but um, there's not a lot of people in my extended family who really know about this until I started um, promoting it on social media this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for as many people who even know that uh, I was involved in this stuff, they definitely didn't know that I shot something that's going to be airing on the CBC in a couple of days. Yeah. Well, luckily they call you central figure rather than like the, you know, UFO researcher, which is much more tinfoil hat. Central figure is a pretty respectable title in the UFO world, I would think. Yeah, I uh, think, uh, you know, it works for me. You know, All things considered. Well, <laughs> all I know about you myself is your connection to researching the guardian or the carp ufo case before we get into your work on that case tell me a bit about you what's what's your background aside from getting mixed up in this crazy story uh well these days i'm a full-time writer i write uh novels short stories uh, that sort of thing um i've always had an interest in the uh the paranormal and the supernatural that goes back to my childhood um my parents um are all from the east coast uh nova scotia and um Everyone in the Maritimes loves a good ghost story. Um, I remember growing up visiting uh, family in Cape Breton, uh, cousins, aunts and uncles. Everyone had a ghost story and everyone swore that it was true. Um, they weren't they were trying to scare you. It was just part of it wasn't even the folklore. It's part of the almost like the history of that area. Um, um, ghosts and and uh, like uh, sea monster stories, uh, all kinds of weird stuff across the whole uh the whole spectrum of, of, of the supernatural. And I was just always interested oh, from, a, from a really young age. I think just because my family took it seriously, um, I always took it seriously, even though I'd never had any kind of encounter myself. Um, and then as a child of the 80s, I just grew up on on, on movies, you know? So it was E.T., Close Encounters, all, all the alien stuff. Um, and then in the 90s, when I was a teenager, it was The X-Files. And I just always wanted to be a ghostbuster, you know, be a, be a paranormal investigator. And when this guardian case came up, um, the first time I saw it was on unsolved mysteries, uh, and realized this was something that was happening only a couple of hours away from my house. I realized this was something I could actually look, look into. Um, whereas before everything else was always happening elsewhere, some, some other place in the world, um, you'd see it on TV or read about it in a book. This one was, was within driving distance. So I thought, Hey, I'm going to check this out. Oh, very cool. Uh, I didn't realize you had a connection to Nova Scotia and Cape Breton. I'm in Nova Scotia, originally from Cape Breton. So the, oh, wow. the yeah. story, like that, that folklore and all that stuff that you're talking about, that's, yeah, I have the same like origin story, so to speak. Yeah, um, no, my family is a big, uh, like my mom's side is from Cape Breton and my dad's side uh, lives in um, Oxford. And actually my, my dad's cousin uh, was uh, Stan Rogers, the musician. Oh, so, yeah, uh, yeah. So a bit of a folk music connection there for the for the trivia buffs. <laughs> that is that is very cool. Yeah. So you you talked a bit about how you had an interest in kind of the supernatural and paranormal as a child. How did like the UFO phenomenon become a part of your life? Because I, I read the article you wrote on CBC 
it talked a bit about like this idea of you being this sort of teenage UFO investigator. How, how did you that start? I, I'd always been interested. And um, from, from UFOs, I think that there was more of a scientific angle. I mean, you know, generally people believe that there are life in other planets. Um, it's sort of a mathematical certainty. Whether or not they're visiting our planet was sort of um, uh, in question. So I felt like there was more of a scientific approach to investigating UFOs. And my father was a constable in the RCMP at the time. So again, sort of dovetailed with my interest in the X-Files that if there was a serious investigation of this, if there was a real life X-Files, that's probably what I'd be doing these days and not you know, being a, a, a writer. Um, so I think that that's really, it was a, sort of all these things sort of dovetailed combined with this case that just happened to appear at the right time. It's just, it was a perfect storm of events that um, you can never really have predicted much less planned for. Yeah. And then you get into, of all the cases you decide to jump into, you choose guardian, which is uh, I would, I would call it like, I wouldn't, I would, I think I could confidently say it is Canada's most infamous UFO case. I think I would give most famous to like Shag Harbor or, sure. Or, or Falcon, Falcon Lake, Lake or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. But Guardian, what it really takes the cake for just being infamous and weird and like a lot of big personalities and egos mm-hmm. kind of battle it out within that story. Um, and we'll get into all that. But tell me this, when you first, you know, you hear of Gar- the Guardian or Carp case existing mm-hmm. near you and you're wanting to learn more, how much did you know about it at that point? Like, what was the story you knew when you first stuck your nose in? Yeah, I think I think the first mention I was for me, like a lot of people was the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast, which I believe was January or February of 93. Um, And so I just knew what was told in the in the um, in the segment, which was like maybe 10 minutes long. And that was there was this UFO incident um, in West Carlton and Carp. Um, it was witnessed by this woman from her backyard. Uh, there was a videotape that was shot independently by this mysterious figure who calls himself Guardian. Um, and it's like I said in the CBC documentary, it was like a movie. You know, I was so well versed in the UFO lore. I've read all the books, um, watched documentaries, the TV shows at the time. Um, there's nothing like Guardian. It's uh, this mysterious figure, you know, sending out these videotapes with his thumbprint on the label, these documents. It's a uh, the tape itself is is kind of spooky, you know, it's, um, again, it was just, it was like, it was custom made for me. Um, I'd investigated other sightings before that and a few after Guardian, but, but nothing compares after Guardian, everything's downhill as a UFO investigator, even, even though I feel, I strongly believe like a lot of the serious investigators that it was a hoax. Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting case, even from just the psychology of belief and, and why we believe things, even from Guardian himself, why why do we do these things? What if he was a genuine whistleblower? Why would he do this? If he was a hoaxer, why would he do this? It's um, it's just compelling for for so many reasons, and I think that was the reason why um, the the people behind UFO Town decided to to focus this documentary on it because it was a story that really needed to be told, even from the unsolved mystery segments, uh, sightings, encounters they only told a fraction of the story. They, they didn't, they never told the whole thing. You'd have to go online and, 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 and Google it to really get the, like the MUFON Ontario final report, which mm. is, uh, which is usually how people find me online. Cause I mentioned in, in that report, that's uh, even, even, or even now over the years, I, a few times a year, people will contact me and ask me um, as a, as an author, are you the same Ian Rogers that was involved in the guardian case? Hmm. And, and you uh, are, I, I think, are one of like the last remaining like living people involved in it. The, 
the main, a lot of the main names associated with it have passed away. I think in the last five or 10 years, is that fair to say? Uh, two, two of them died just last year. Bob Exler died last year. Um, and Tom Theophanis, um, who was one of the original investigators. Yeah. Uh, um, Errol Bruce Knapp, who was a good friend of mine. Um, he died um, six or seven years ago. He used to um, host a radio show on CFRB in Toronto called Strange Days Indeed. And I was a guest co-host on that oh, okay. um, for a number of years when I lived in Toronto in the early 2000s. And we did like a retrospective on Guardian back then. It always came up because people didn't know the full story. All mm -hmm. they knew was the Unsolved Mystery segment, encounters, sightings, um, the, the sort of the denouement of the case was never really publicly known. Uh, Bob Exer talked about writing a book. Other people talked about writing books, but they never materialized. Mm -hmm. Even I thought about writing a book. But the problem with the Guardian case is that there, there's no really satisfying final act. It's... Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a hoax. You know, in, in my opinion, I believe it was uh, it was very very clearly that it was a hoax. We never heard anything from Guardian since those videotapes. So he never did send out any more material. Um, and the problem is that the the market for a UFO book, um, people either want to know that it's aliens in the end, or at the very least, they want some ambiguity. So um, my book had no final act, so I never I never wrote it hmm, ultimately. Well, let's get into the story and walk through it a bit. And one aspect of this case that I don't think I even realized until until your until the UFO Town documentary is really there's there's two separate events that happen. There's an initial sighting, yeah, mm -hmm. that and then letters that follow that. But it isn't until a couple of years later that the that the actual videotape that this case is so well known for came out. Tell me about like the, the initial sighting that plays out. I think it was in 89 is when, when the first sighting, and I can't remember her name. Was it Diane Callback? Uh, Diane Labanek. Yes. Labanek, yes. Um, this, you have to understand, is a very small rural community. Um, Manion Corners is what it's called at Corkery, Corkery Road, this sort of this intersection where, uh, where Diane lived, um, lives still. Um, 89 Guardian sent out was basically like a, a two sheet report and a photograph of what he said was an alien and was describing this what's essentially like a UFO crash retrieval operation in the in the swamp around that area. Um, uh, an investigator went to check it out, uh, a local um, a Canadian UFO investigator, and found, and found nothing, no evidence of anything. I think there was a couple of people that reported seeing a light or something. I believe Diane Labanek was one of them because they followed up with her in the 91 reports. Mm -hmm. um, but there was really nothing that came up. There, there, there was no videotape at that point, no photographs. Um, and there was just as many people in the area who reported seeing nothing at that time mm -hmm. uh, in 89. So again, it was just sort of... Um, people just dismissed it. Um, Guardian had sent some stuff that had talked about um, sort of right-wing conspiracies. Um, and I believe it was actually, some of it was sent to the RCMP at that time because it was very similar, as I recall, um, to um, white supremacist literature. Even though it wasn't specifically racist in time, the tone um, uh, was very similar in, 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 that, in that style. Yeah. And for people who don't no, when we when we say guardian, this is almost like an anonymous person who is sending packages to like UFO investigators, explaining you know this crazy thing is happening in this small town, and they go on to then spew what borders on like almost yeah, like you said, like white supremacy, far right yeah. kind of rambling kind of stuff. So in eighty nine, 
there was this first sighting and some of this documentation was sent out. There was a very brief investigation. Nothing of substance was found. No one knows who Guardian is, but they really upped their game. And I, and I think it's in 91 when the second series of packages are sent out. Tell me a bit about those packages, because those are the ones that really this this story is uh, encompasses for the most part. Yeah, so in, the, in a couple of years late, late, later, in the uh, in the fall of uh, ninety one, um, uh, when early nineteen ninety two, um, UFO investigators in Canada and the U.S. and I think a few abroad as well start mm-hmm. receiving these packages, new new material from Guardian. Um, these time this time there's government documents. Um, I use that term very loosely because they don't look at all like government documents, but yeah. he, he gets points for effort. Um, there are playing cards with conspiracy ramblings on them. There are um, diagrams of how um, alien spacecraft evade our radar, and there's a videotape. And the videotape shows um, what's alleged to be a UFO landed on the ground with four red flares burning off to the left. Um, The video does not show the craft arriving or departing. Um, And at the very end of the tape, there's a series of still images that um, supposedly show an alien uh, uh, entity, which is basically a person, a figure, in a black outfit with glowing white hands and a white sort of self-luminescent head with the classic almond shaped eyes uh, sort of thing. And the, the document detailed that this event had happened um, in August of 91. So it was about um, six months after, um, after this alleged event that the, that the videotapes um, started going out. Okay. In the, um, the, the way I understand it as well, I don't know how much you know of this, but the, the, it wasn't all the people who received the, this document or this package from Guardian. They didn't all receive the same tape. It seems like some people had slightly different kind of scenes like mixed in in the end as far as what Guardian was showing. Then the I think um, Newfound Ontario got, um, I think, the longest version of it, which was like the full version with audio. I think Bob Exler got a shortened version. I'm pretty sure his didn't have, a, have an audio track, as I recall. I'm, I'm trying to remember this after excuse yeah. me, 25 years, <laughs> but, I, but I'm, I'm pretty good on those details. I'm, I'm almost positive that Bob's didn't have an, an audio track. Um, and yeah, I think it was just, it, it was really random because it wasn't just UFO investigators who were sent this stuff. There was... Um, uh, I believe it was the University of Ottawa or maybe Carleton had also received material there. Um, there was a lot of, um, when we were trying to figure out who Guardian was back, back in the day, um, there was some suggestion that it might've been someone who had access to the um, local uh, Usenets, you know, sort of the precursor to the internet. Cause there wasn't a lot of internet access back then. This was sort of the nascent days of the internet, mm. um, which led sort of the idea that it might've been a student because why would you send this stuff to UFO investigators um, some, you know, uh, internationally, and then also to people in the Ottawa area, like Ottawa, you know, uh, educational institutions, it was just seemed a little random, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, why these places and not other schools elsewhere. Yeah. And then you you had mentioned that the packages that had this tape also had these, like, quote, unquote, government documents, it was like, they were obviously faked documents designed to be like the government, dis- the Canadian government discussing like a downed Mm. extraterrestrial spaceship is that like am i getting the kind of the yeah i mean they're they're they, they look like documents by someone who'd watched movies of what these documents look like i mean they're not even properly censored but like everything was perfectly um spaced out like alien forces exist and an ideological war and they're they're rambling they don't even read like government documents they read like a manifesto by like a red like a like a right-wing QAnon 
person. You know, it's just because I mean, they mentioned red China and they mentioned Iraq spelled wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the cover document um, that talks about the crash specifically has got two Polaroid photographs um, photocopied on the front. So it's just, like I said, it's something that looked like a, like a teenager had made, you know, someone who had watched, uh, you know, too much X-Files maybe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it, it like certainly one thing about this case is whoever was involved, like whoever guardian is who still hasn't been identified, they were certainly into the UFO phenomenon to be able to use the right language and contact the right people. So it was, it was someone kind of in that world, but Unless I'm mistaken, this is the, the the story that they had was that the Chinese and Canadian government were conspiring to hide this this extraterrestrial crash. Is that like the to summarize the madness of those letters? Is that in essence what, yeah. what is in there? It was I can't remember if it was to prevent or to start an ideological war, but yeah, Red China is mentioned. Um, there there was a uh, mention of some sort of a secret um, bunker in CARP where the alien bodies were taken, uh, which is funny. I'm not, I'm not sure if it was speaking specifically of the Defen bunker, but I mean, why not mention the Defen bunker, which was yeah. not too far from that area? Um, it, it was sort of rich in, in that kind of sort of almost science fiction, pulpy folklore. Like uh, from a writer, you know, I can I can definitely uh, appreciate the, the creativity as an investigator. I'm like, why would anyone believe this? You know, it's it's the sort of thing that um, that gives ufology the bad reputation because, you know, they basically assume that uh, UFO investigators are all like you said, like the, the sort of the tinfoil hat wearing people. Um, there are, there are some people who are like that, obviously, you know, the stereotypes do come from a place like this sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and it's hard because you're trying to um, give credibility to something that is in essence, I guess, a pseudoscience, but um, there are good people in the field. You know, mm -hmm. there are people that are doing like, like Chris Rakowski, you know, like one of the most, you know, most respected and best investigators in the field and has been for a very long time. Um, it's, it's just, it's hard. It's hard because it's such a compelling subject, but it's also hard to believe. And when we don't want to believe in something, we sometimes our, our response is to ridicule it, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh, well, that must be crazy. So, so I get it, you know, even, even so many years later where I sort of still keep a toe into the ufology world to see what's, what the current cases are. Um, I can understand why some people think it's ridiculous. You know, it's mm -hmm. just, I've always tried to be really respectful of the people, even when I don't necessarily believe the stories that they're telling me. Yeah, I, I get that. And and in this case, the easiest part to ridicule is the letters and that weird manifesto. But it's it's the videotape cassette, I think, that really mm -hmm. gives this case legs. And and the reason for that is for one, what's shown of suppose a purported purportedly a crashed saucer. Uh, nobody's really been able to definitively say what they filmed or who filmed it. Can you just again describe this, the period in the tape and the VHS tape that Guardian included that again, I love the idea of the tape too. It was just a blank tape with Guardian and then a fingerprint on there. And that's, that's so mysterious. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, again, it's like almost like the documents themselves. It was almost something that um, I don't want to say juvenile, but it's almost like something that someone saw in a movie, you know, like there's a bit of Dr. Strange love in there. There's mm -hmm. a bit of, you know, um, all the president's men um, and then a bit of close encounters of the third kind. It's just this rich panoply of material. Again, like as a, as a person who now who makes a living writing creative fiction, um, I can totally respect um, 
and, and the, like I said, the tape itself, even watching it now, uh, rewatching even the Unsolved Mysteries footage, um, which is a, still a fantastic program. It's spooky. You know, it's still mm-hmm. compelling. I look back on that and I look back at that time fondly. I don't look back at it ever as a waste of my time. It's it, it helped form who I am today, uh, not just as a as a writer, but as a, as a person and, and what I believe and how I uh, how I approach this stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember at the time. Uh, one of the original investigators, um, uh, uh, the one who passed just last year, sadly, uh, Tom Theophanis, um, he saw what he was sure in freeze frames was um, the windshield of a very conventional pickup truck, which you would think that, okay, well, it's really hard. It's, it's a grainy video. We're not even sure if it's first gen. Um, it could have been duped many times over and it's dark. Um, how can you tell us? Well, Tom's, Tom's job at the time, his business was windshield repair, you know? So, I mean, this is something that, that he, he would know. And when you look at it, again, it's hard to tell. Um, uh, it could just be, you know, like, uh, what, what was journey to believe one of the investigators was that it's a pickup truck with, with lighting, uh, attached to it, floodlight, uh, the strobe on the top, um, road flares, which you can get anywhere, Canadian tire, um, the alien images um, were very easy to fake. Uh, a friend of mine and I faked them ourselves. I've still got the Polaroids. Uh, just white latex gloves and a white garbage bag on your head with cut out eyes. It was great. You know, it's, it was just, um, I remember Unsolved Mystery saying it would, co- it would cost like $100,000 to, to recreate the stuff in that video, which is so not true. It's no, just, no. it's, it, it's I, so what you see in the video, it's, it's such a vague kind of, scene anyway it's you just kind of see some far away lights on the ground and it it's it's almost like if um if you just kind of peeked over a fence and filmed like a mall off in the distance you exactly know, it could be it, anything could be yeah anything. so yeah. It, I mean, and again like the it's the context the right it's, it's if, if if the tape had just been sent without the label without the documents um without the um the previous material um which ended up i think hurting guardians credibility um mm-hmm. I don't think people would have paid as much attention to it, but because it's just one element in this larger case um, with this, with this um, persona um, attached to it is just what really made it so compelling. Even, even the people that were so dismissive of it, um, uh, the Canadians, especially who had already dealt with guardian, they went up um, maybe a couple of times um, in, um, I guess it would have been the summer, uh, early spring of 92 with uh, Bob Exler. They were pretty dismissive of it. They'd already got stuff from Guardian before. They, they'd written him off as a hoaxer. Um, the, the tape is, is interesting, but still not really conclusive of anything. Mm-hmm. And um, they were just pretty quick to say, just Guardian's up to old tricks again, you know, and whereas Bob seemed to really, uh, um, I don't want to be too, and act like he has an agenda, but I mean, he was a lot more set in, in his, in, you know, he was more convinced. He was not going to be unconvinced that there was something here. He was going to find it. And um, that day went tromping off into the woods and sort of left everyone else. It was him and his son. And then miraculously found the uh, the landing site somehow. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's talk about him. The way, the way I see it is guardian and sh- the shipping of these weird packages to different UFO investigators and in universities around the world. If guardian is like this, um, bucket of old oily rags in someone's basement, then Bob Exler is very much like, you know, a misplaced match in said oily rags. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I, I mean, Bob's passed away last year and I never want to speak ill of the dead, obviously. No. I, I did not. And I did not have a good experience with Bob. I worked with him directly and he, he was not kind to me. Um, he was quite deceptive actually. Um, and again, it's just, it's not, uh, it's not in my nature to sort of bring that out. Um, but uh, but at the same time, it's uh, you sort of uh, 
uh, actions speak louder than words. And um, he definitely had an agenda with this. And, and, and I think, as you've seen a lot of ufology, ufologists want to sort of attach themselves to one case and sort of own it. Mm-hmm. And Bob was very territorial with Guardian. Um, his initial um, interest in me um, to try to get me to work with him um, when he found out I could get something for him was, well, I'll put you in the book that I'm writing about Guardian. That was his, that was his way of, uh, of trying to entice me. And, and I admit, as a, as a young man, I was like, oh, wow, great. I'll be in a book about UFOs. And I've got hundreds of them. Um, that wasn't the reason why I, I wanted to work with him. Um, the reason why I wanted to work with him was because he was the guy that was in all the TV footage. You know, he yeah. was, uh, I didn't know about the Canadians uh, involvement when I first uh, um, heard about Guardian because it's just it's just Bob on all those shows, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Graham uh, Lightfoot is in one of them, but uh, but largely it's it's Bob and encounters and sightings tracking down Guardian. Um, so I just reached out to him, uh, looked up his number in Maryland, and called him up. And um, when he found out that I was interested and that I wasn't connected to Mufon Ontario, he sort of saw someone that he could use. Wow. It's kind of a, yeah, that's kind of dark, but how does, how does Bob, like he's an American, how does he get involved in being at least for a period of time, like the face of this case and the face of the hunt for guardian? How do you know how Bob Exler became involved in this? Well, he was one of the people that received the guardian material. And um, as for the, uh, the TV coverage, um, he, he just had the connections, you know, he, he felt that he could, you know, the whole idea of the unsolved mystery segment was to flesh out guardian because, um, this was um, around the same time as like America's Most Wanted. These are the same kind of programs where they got the tip line. They're very good at flushing out suspects, getting leads on things. And that was how they got um, their first tips for the very first uh, guardian suspect in that area. I mean, it's a small community, right? People talk. Um, and um, that was how um, people initially, uh, investigators initially got on to uh, um, find out who, who they thought was guardian um, at that time. And, and that was that was originally why Bob did it. Bob, Bob was sort of... Um, putting out his shingle. He, he really wanted to, um, to monetize this case. He was already selling the guardian video in UFO magazines for like 30, 35 bucks, you know? Um, and that was, if you see the tape, which is, I think it's available online. You can see it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He talks about further tapes. There was going to be like a two hour extra tape where they do more analysis and interview further witnesses. It was, he was really sort of staking his claim and going to, and going to franchise this thing, you know, and, uh, make, make it his own. And, I wouldn't say that the Canadians um, quashed that through any kind of uh, malevolent reason. It was just um, they knew that it was uh, it wasn't true, and that Bob was actively uh, manipulating the evidence. And um, that's sort of where I came in. Um, the RCMP was involved um, um, involved in the case uh, for for like a totally random reason, uh, which we can get into if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was there was a, there was an RCMP file, um, a declassified sort of an access to information file that Bob wanted, and he couldn't get it. As an American citizen, he couldn't get it. Um, even the Canadian investigators um, couldn't get. It. All they could get was a ten or fifteen page final report. Um, but they knew that this investigating constable had taken photos, had his personal notes, which were all accessible if they knew how to get it. My father was in the RCMP and helped me. Um, lodge the proper request with access to information. So suddenly one day I get this 200 pound or sorry, 200 pound, 200 page bundle of documents in the mail and they're all censored. But um, if you know who all the players are, and I did, it was pretty easy to fill in those blanks. And the minute that I start reading this document and I find the, uh, 
the investigator's notes on Bob Exler and what he thought of Bob and things that Bob wasn't telling me, um, that's when my eyes started to be opened about one, why Bob wanted this document and um, put me in touch with the Canadian investigators who only confirmed uh, my suspicions and what the RCMP was saying was that Bob was, um, uh, was a bit of a character and they sort of questioned his motives for, uh, for investigating this case. And not to mention trying to use the RCMP, not just as a cudgel to sort of get Guardian to come out, but um, it also, uh, Bob likes to, uh, to align himself with government agencies. One, so it looks like they're working together and two, because he sees it as sort of a swap. You know, it's like, hey, if I help you, you well, you'll give me some of your secret UFO documents. And this investigator was having none of that. He could see right through it and um, was just was just having was having none of that. And I actually spoke with him. I was able to meet with that investigator when uh, when I went, went up there and, and he confirmed the same thing to me in person was didn't did not think much of Bob Exler at all. Hello, listeners. Sorry to interrupt the show like this, but I thought I had to stop things and let you know that I've recently become addicted to a new app called Stereo, and I want to tell you about it. Here's how I'd best describe Stereo. Imagine if somehow a telephone, a podcast, a talk show, and a 1-900 number collectively had a baby, and that baby was a free app you could download right now. That's it. It's a weird way to put it. But I think if you try Stereo, you'll agree. The Stereo app has thousands of live social conversations organized by genres that serve every interest. As a user, it's up to you whether you want to be a co-host, participate as a guest, or simply listen in on live conversations like a fly on a wall. Listeners of Nighttime probably can tell by now that I'm one for chit-chat, so I'm very much at home on the Stereo app. In fact, I'm going to try to incorporate my stereo conversations into future episodes. My plan is a sort of blind date conversation. I'm going to simply link up with strangers around the world and talk to them about issues parallel with the topics covered here on Nighttime. Some of the people I'm speaking with may be listeners. Some may be people who don't know what a podcast is. And many may not even be able to point to Canada on a map. So it's going to get interesting. I'll try to include some of the conversations at the end of some future episodes, but if you want to hear it all and listen live, I'll make it simple for you. Join me on the Stereo app, and I'll be live most weekday mornings. To download Stereo, go to Stereo.com slash NighttimePod. I've also added the link in the episode description as well, but again, it's Stereo.com slash NighttimePod. I hope to see you there. I love stereo. I'm on the app talking all the time, so make sure you follow me and you'll get notified every time I go live. How did the police get involved? Like, was something reported to the police in that area? This was, um, I believe it was called a, it was like a special investigation for the public or something. It It was basically a courtesy investigation. It started with, an individual in that area. Um, if you recall the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast, after the Guardian event took place, um, a spooky black helicopter swept over the area. Mm-hmm. Well, people in that area had been reporting um, low-flying helicopters for years. 
So this individual who was connected with the case lodged a complaint with the RCMP about low-flying helicopters in the area, which is against the law. So because that, um, that report was wrapped up into the Guardian case, the, the constable ended up investigating the case sort of as a whole. You, you sort of couldn't pull the two apart because, yeah, the RCMP does not investigate UFO cases like Guardian, unless the law is broken. So that was how the RCMP sort of came in. And again, I, I'm trying to remember the exact wording of the report, but it was basically a, a special investigation for the public, you know, in the interest of the public. Um, yeah, it was, again, it just adds more to the to this wackiness of this story. Yeah, it, and it just like, <laughs> I guess that report, however much merit it had, it at least put in contact Bob Exler with an official, you know, investigator who was assigned to it and just further um, perpetuates this whole, the whole madness that goes on. And now we, we've talked already about the, the different documentaries, unsolved mysteries and whatnot. So Bob Exler, this American who finds out about the case and firmly, you know, takes the, the lead role as these documentaries and all that air, He's again still the the lead person. He appears in all of them, so it's very much his case. But somehow, within all of this happening, it seems like it implodes on him, and he not only walks away from this case, he walked away from ufology. I mm-hmm. think for the rest of his life, mm-hmm. because of things that happened within the Guardian case. Do, do you know what it was that led to you know him putting his tail between his legs, basically, and leaving? Well, I think what it really comes down to is the fact that there really wasn't anything to the case. I mean, he was trying to really inflate it into something that it wasn't. And he was trying to bring in other people and their sightings to um, sort of um, fortify the Guardian case. Um, and it just didn't work. You know, there, there wasn't any material there. And he kept getting those kind of, he kept getting his legs sort of knocked out from under him every time. And I think he finally got frustrated. And you have to remember that Bob was also coming off cases like Gulf Breeze. He was a big proponent that Gulf Breeze was true and it wasn't. Um, so uh, I think even among MUFON, it wasn't just like the Canadians versus the Americans, even MUFON uh, in, in the United States was kind of done with him at that point. So I think maybe that was, that might've been why Bob was trying to attach himself so strongly to the guardian case and was coming up to, to Canada so often was, it was sort of a last ditch effort to um, salvage something from, uh, from his career. And because I mean, Bob was another person who promised a book about this that was going to expose the truth. And we didn't get a book. What we got was an anonymous individual calling himself, I believe it was Alex on the Usenets attacking the Canadians and you can find all this stuff online because the Canadians just say, nope, that's not true. This is actually what happened. And it's, it was very clear that it was, it was, it was Exler um, trying to uh, combat the criticism, but I mean, it, this wasn't just uh, he said, she said, I mean, the facts were out there. I mean, this, this, this wasn't petty. Um, the Canadians were, were, were very mature about this. They just, they weren't going to be led down the, down the garden path by someone who was trying to, to make a buck off of a lie is, is really what it boiled down to. Mm-hmm. Um and, and again, I had my own experience too. When I remember after I told Bob that I wasn't going to be sending him these documents after I found out, I was very polite about it. Bob, um, uh, Bob got litigious with me. He threatened to sue me, you know, and maybe he was just trying to scare a teenager. But uh, even as a teenager, I knew that he had no grounds to bring any uh, legal action against me. He was just, he was, he was flailing, you know, so, and not to mention also sort of reinforced the fact that this was something, someone I did not want to work with. Wow. Um, that is, it's, it's like this, the story, 
at the surface, there's this cool UFO story with the, you know, and then the cool tape and this whole mystery of who is the guardian and what's their motivation. But as you are introducing the different characters and consider their motivations and the individual stories that revolve around them, it's just, um, the guardian case is just this whole other world, mm-hmm. but it seems to largely have been forgotten. Like I understand that back in the nineties, like there was a lot of discussion on Usenet and this was actively being researched and talked about. But I think today, even if you went to a Canadian UFO convention and you mm-hmm. stopped 20 people, five of them may know about this case. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's, it's large. I wouldn't say it's been forgotten, but it's not as well known. So let mm-hmm. me ask you, this is what has led you to, I guess, dig it all up. Why is Guardian back in the news again and on a major CBC documentary? Well, you know, we like a mystery. And even though um, I think anyone with a serious and skeptical mind would dismiss the Guardian case as a hoax, it's still a compelling story. Mm-hmm. And it's still a great story to tell. And it was one that never got to be told completely with Unsolved Mysteries and the rest of the other broadcasts. So I think, um, especially with the documentary, it was nice just to have something on the record because you have to remember too, is that the Guardian case was happening just on, like you said, on the news nets, it was just the cusp of sort of public access to the internet. If this had happened maybe five years later, um, maybe there'd be more of a record. If it had happened happening today with social media, oh, it would would have exploded in ways we don't even realize. I still get emails um, even before the documentary um, went into production. Um, and I think this is how they found me too, was um, I mentioned in, in the MUFON on Terror report. So um, even as a published author now, when people Google me, they, they ask me, are you the same Ian Rogers that was involved in the Guardian case? Not a lot of people, but it still pops up every, every once in a while. Um, and as you said, not a lot of them are, are alive anymore. The original investigators, this was 30 years ago. Um, or the people just don't want to talk about it. It's, um, it can be a touchy subject for some people, um, which is understandable. It's a cast of characters. It was a wacky time. Um, but it was 30 years ago. It'll be, it'll be 30 years this August that the event was allegedly uh, shot in that field. So um, we, it just seems timely to, 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 um, to talk about it again. And um, because I wasn't totally aligned with MUFON Ontario, I had sort of my own little group and I wasn't aligned with Bob Exler, I feel like I kind of had a bit of a unique sort of editor perspective. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't involved with the personalities. I, uh, I had kind of uh, uh, my own unique take on it um, where everyone was still talking to me. You know, I, I spent a lot of time talking to Bob Exler. I spent a lot of time talking to Tom and Errol and everyone else, um, which is why I always felt that I was in, in a great place to like write a book about it if I wanted to. Um, and I never did. So being able to do this documentary was extremely satisfying to be able to put the whole record uh, record down because, yeah, uh, I'm not saying that it's, a, that it's the best story out there, but I did t- take a certain amount of pride knowing that I pretty much know the whole thing. You know, even the parts that I wasn't directly involved with, um, everyone spoke to me. I kept all my files, all my records, all my photos, all my interviews. It, um, it, was, it was just, it was a really exciting time, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. And the, the, what's one of the things that are so great about UFO Town is it's the story is told and investigated to an extent, but without a real like motive. So when I think of the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast back in the day, a big motivation of that was to try to get Guardian to come out of hiding and, and reveal themselves. And then when I see some of the other like like sightings and, and whatnot, some of the other pieces, 
I can't help but watch it and think I'm almost watching like a bit of a promo for Bob Exler, the connected ex NASA researcher who's about to, you know, prove aliens are in Carp, Ontario. Um, this story and in like the documentary UFO Town is really like it tells the story of Guardian, tells the story of the people of West Carlton, who a lot of them have reported seeing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it is a bit of a like a UFO town. I guess that. I didn't realize this. I thought it was a very much an isolated incident, but there's been quite a few like reports and that's just become a part of kind of the, I guess the folklore in that area, likely due to when unsolved mysteries back when it was at its peak, when, when that airs a program about a UFO in your town, I guess that's going to get people talking. Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But when, when this documentary airs, it shows a lot of conversations with people who weren't associated with, the guardian story back when it happened, but have found themselves um, tied into it a bit. Now um, we won't spill the beans, but (laughs) you do, the documentary does set out to further investigate who guardian was or is. Do you make any progress in answering that question? Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't want to blow anything in the documentary, of course. Um, the, the thing that I think UFO Town does really well, which I think uh, really speaks to um, um, the quality work done by uh, the producer, Nick Crow and, and, um, and Katie Lemire, the director, is they, they really understood the case. I, that was why I really wanted to work with them. Um, when they first approached me, uh, I told them, like, if this is going to be like a like a Fox production where you're really going to spin the alien angle, I'm not interested. You know, like I like I firmly believe this is a hoax. You ask any of the other serious investigators, they will say it's a hoax. Um, I don't want to be involved if you're going to be uh, selling people a bill of goods. You know, if this is now when I knew this is for the CBC, I figured it was going to be more serious. But that was that was sort of my caveat before I even started uh, became involved in this. And they were all fantastic. But I think that's the reason why UFO Town succeeds. I think that it still really gets across um, the the serious investigators' feelings about the Guardian case, while also entertaining the the possibility that something actually was going on in West Carlton at that time. There were a number of people who had encounters and sightings completely independent of the Guardian event. Um, And there are newspaper clippings that even before um, August 91, when Guardian was even supposed to have shot that videotape, that suggests that something was happening in that area. And I think that that's something that UFO Town does really well, because um, I'm still very much a hardcore skeptic and I wanted my feelings on the Guardian case on that record. Um, But at the same time, um, you can't discount the fact that there was people who didn't even know what guardian was, especially at that time who were seeing something, who were experiencing something in that area. And that's, um, it really just adds to the whole, uh, folklore to the area. It, it makes me want to go back and, and, you know, it was, it was nice to go back on from a retrospective, um, er, um sense and, and using the internet to try to, um, track down new suspects of who guardian, uh, might've been, um, which we did. Um, I mean, track down suspects. I'm not saying that we found out who, who, yeah. uh, who he or she was, but, um, it, it really made me want to take another crack at West Carlton and really explore the, uh, the mythology of that area. Um, it, hence the name UFO town. Cause when, when I s- heard the name, I thought, Oh, could this going to be a story about some, you know, town that I don't know about where stuff had happened. I didn't realize like, it seems like you set out initially the filmmakers set out to cover guardian, but it just slowly like zooms out and you just see kind of everything that's happening in the town. But one thing I want to ask is when I read a lot of the old information about the search for guardian, 
there was a specific suspect. The name escapes me, but there was one fella that a lot of people had suspicions that it was him, but I don't believe you even got into, he was even brought up in the documentary. Yeah, I mean, um, without mentioning names, obviously, for for privacy reasons, I mean, there was there was a guardian suspect who came out from the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast. It was a friend of his that called the tip line. Um, This was a person in the the area who was well known uh, uh, as a UFO aficionado, um, a little bit of an eccentric um, and would never speak to investigators, which, again, really kind of just doubles down on the fact that they might have something to hide, as opposed to if he had just said, I'm not guardian, leave me alone. You know, so when when people don't want to talk to you or they act suspiciously, um, especially among the UFO investigator set, um, it just uh, makes them perk up their ears even more. Um, It is not my belief um, that this person is actually involved um, uh, with information that I've had. Uh, I guess you could sort of say with the the more recent investigation of the past year, just when we sort of redug back into the case. I do um, believe that I know who, who, who Guardian was, or at least I know, I believe I know who is responsible. But again, it's sort of, it's the documentary took its own life in, in, in a different way. It wasn't necessarily about um, tracking down Guardian. Maybe like you said, uh, the documentary was originally titled, when I, when I signed on, it was going to be called Searching for Guardian. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it just, it became something bigger. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it became a, a story about belief and why we believe the things that we do. Um, and the Guardian case just became the litmus test for, 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 the, for that, uh, that idea. And mm-hmm. I just think that that's much more interesting because uh, I, th- I think that um, the, the documentary picks up where Unsolved Mysteries ended off and you get more, much more of the story. And if you really want the nitty gritty, um, um, because you know UFO Town is 44 minutes and not say two hours, you can go online. You can read the you can read the UFO the MUFON Ontario CARP report if if you really really are that hardcore interested. It's been there on online for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what UFO down what, you, what UFO Town does best um, is it it explores CARP through the eyes of the psychology of belief. Um, without getting down to like the nitty gritty of here's the suspects and we tracked them all down. That was much more of what I didn't want to do. I'm not there to harass anybody. I mean, when I watched um, uh, the Fox show encounters chasing the guardian suspect blurred face down the street, it was like, no, it's just, it's so sensational. You know, but that I mean, is good TV. Come on. It's great TV. Don't get me wrong. You know, but I remember when I, when I said to the producers, uh, when I first signed on, I was like, we're not going to be chasing anybody. Right. Cause <laughs> I'm not doing that. You know, like I'm also out of shape. You don't want to see me running down any streets. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, but it's, it, the way it worked out is fantastic. I, a lot of experience I have with kind of the way a town can embrace a connection mm-hmm. to ufology. I live not very far from Shag Harbor in Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. and I go every year for the UFO festival. And you really get to see this small town in the middle of nowhere um, really come alive in the different people in the town all have their story of something they saw or something their parents saw or some strange thing. And, and I really see how, a story like this and a phenomenon like this can just weave its way through the culture that exists in a small town. And that just seems to be like in UFO town, it really seems to be just pointing a camera at that mm-hmm. in, in using kind of the guardian case as an entrance point, you know, into this little world. Well, I mean, let me tell you, when, when I was there for, for a lot of the filming, when they're talking to the other people who'd had their experiences independent of Guardian, what you're not seeing in those footages is when they're talking to the camera, I'm usually in the same scene behind them. They're talking to me. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like I got to be a UFO investigator again. And in an area that I hadn't really been to um, in almost 30 years, 
it was just, it was those old juices coming back in where I had been pouring all that stuff into my, my novels and short stories and and Mm -hmm. screenplays, but this was me back in the field. You know, it was, it was really energetic. It made me really want to um, uh, almost get back into it again. And um, yeah, I mean, if I had the opportunity to go to any UFO themed events, just, just to talk about guardian or to talk about, um, talk about anything, you know, let's sort of say, Hey, you know, I'm from UFO town and not, not in a celebrity kind of a sense, but just some sort of a, um, like you said, there's not a lot of people who really know the full mm-hmm. guardian story. And I think who can really speak about it with any real hard judgment one way or the other, like I obviously believe that it's a hoax, but I don't have any ill will um, towards it. It was, it was such an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the highlight of my UFO investigating career. I'd done stuff before that and after that, but after Guardian, everything everything's downhill from there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You're never yeah. going to have a cast of characters like that. Our government involvement. Oh, um, it's like a it's mysterious like a, whistleblower. Like it's 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 incredible. It's, it's a great it's story. Half Twin Peaks, half X Files, and then there's also like a bit of a like a Jerry Springer show vibe as the whole thing comes crashing down. So exactly. you talked about like having a strong interest and connection with the UFO world and investigating. Why did you walk away? You know what? I think it was a combination of being sort of disenfranchised with Bob and the way I was treated by him. Um, You have to remember I'm 17, 16, 17 at the time. I'm still a kid. I like to think that I'm, uh, I'm intelligent, but I I still know it's like dirty Harry in the old, you know, the old Clint Eastwood in the old dirty Harry movies. I mean, as a guy, I know his limitations and, um, I felt like I could really add something to the investigation, but I also knew that I was still young and I knew that um, I wasn't quite there yet. And I, I felt like I was just disenfranchised by the whole thing. And it wasn't just the fact that Guardian was, uh, the case was a hoax. Um, I almost pretty much knew that when I was going up there, I was going up there for my own reasons, but it was just the field itself. Um, if these are the professionals, this is the guy that's on the TV show. He's a, he's a former NASA mission specialist. It just, I felt jaded, you know, and, and after that, when, uh, when it was just inv- investigating sightings where um, there isn't even any videos or footage or anything, it's just, you're going to talk to someone who said they saw something. What do you do with that report? It just, it wasn't really as interesting. I, I sort of uh, funneled that into, into my fiction, basically. Yeah. I still kept in contact with the Canadians and in, in the, in the early two thousands, I was um, um, a regular um, guest co-host on um, Strange Days Indeed, which was a, a radio show on CFRB in Toronto, um, hosted by um, Errol Bruce Snap, who was one of the original Guardian investigators. So I kept in touch with these guys. They're great people. Um, had long relationships with them years afterwards, just in terms of um, talking general UFO topics. But for me, investigating, it just... I've got a lot of respect for the field, but there's um, there's a lot of people out there who are just kind of kooky or they have their own agendas that are driven by money or, or things that are not science-based. Mm, um, and that. that was largely why I got out of it. And, and even these days, you don't really see a lot of big cases anymore. I can't remember the last time there was a really big case that that rocked the UFO world. I think maybe the, uh, the so-called Roswell slides, which they mm. turned out to be, you know, uh, you could say hoaxes as much as everyone else's or misidentifications if you want to be kind. Um, <laughs> but again, it's just, again, it was, it was just more of the same to me. Someone trying to make a buck um, with something that turned out to be not aliens yet again. So. Well, yeah. I, th- I think people who are, who listen to my show will be excited to dig into the story of guardian. Uh, I know they'll be excited to watch the documentary. I watched it and it was one of the better UFO themed documentaries because of like, for all the reasons we said, it didn't focus squarely on 
on a case. It more focused on the people associated with it. And that's always the part that I find more fascinating. So for, for people watching who want to learn more about you, find your books or learn more about the guardian case, where are some, what are some things we should, some places we should go? Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm on all the usual uh, social media spots. Um, if you go to the CBC site, there's an essay by there uh, on there um, about my days as a teenage uh, UFO investigator, where I get to sort of explore a bit more uh, on stuff that uh, doesn't get uh, um, told in the documentary. Um, I have a website at ianrogers.ca and that's where I uh, post most of my writing news. But yeah, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. Um, if you're uh, following any of the UFO, UFO Town stuff on CBC, that most of that stuff links back to me. I'm pretty easy to find online. I spent 20 years as a web developer, so uh, I've got a pretty well-developed uh, digital footprint, as they say. So uh, yeah, and yeah, I, I always invite people to, to reach out and, and talk to me about writing or, or UFOs. If they want to ask me about UFO Town, it was, it was such a great time. Uh, the crew was incredible. Um, CBC has been great. Um, as I said, I, I got to see an advanced screener of the documentary a couple of weeks ago with my wife. And uh, it, like you said, it, it looks fantastic. It is so um, professional. It's so well done. It's respectful. I think it really gives a lot more of the story of the Guardian case while also being uh, an exploration of the larger issues of belief. I think it, it just really, really effectively covers both those things. I think people are really going to dig it. I want to thank you for joining Ian and I for our discussion about the Carp Ontario, aka Guardian, UFO case. Although it's pretty clear that the majority of the Guardian case is the work of a hoaxer, but at least in my eyes, that doesn't take away from the fantastic nature of this story. When some shadowy figure starts sending VHS tapes of flying saucers to the world's UFO investigators, I'm all in. And with that, We'll start wrapping up tonight's episode, but I must say my coverage of the Guardian UFO case isn't quite done yet. As it turns out, a friend of mine and a past guest of the show was one of the few investigators that the Guardian targeted with their weird mailings back in the 80s. In the next episode of Nighttime, Canadian UFO researcher Chris Rutkowski will join me to both discuss CBC's UFO town and share his memories on the CARP case. And that'll be out shortly. But until then, I'm going to end with thanks. First, a massive thank you to Ian Rogers for taking the time out of looking after his cats to discuss this case with us tonight. Also, a thanks to the folks at CBC for dedicating airtime to the exploration of stories such as this. The UFO scene is much more fascinating than the layman may realize. And documentaries like UFO Town only prove it. I recommend everyone listening check out the film. I've added links in the episode description of where you can watch UFO Town online for free right now. And next, a big shout out to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime. Without your interest and your support, Nighttime would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, please subscribe to the premium feed. Not only does it make the show possible, it'll give you more of each topic than you're going to find here in the free feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can keep the show alive at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. 
And with that said, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. The Dark Canuck, Melanie, sister to my favorite twin, Catherine, and Kayla. Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a huge hand by simply sharing the episodes on social media or letting your friends know of what we're doing here. Also, if you have any story ideas or want to give feedback on this episode or the show in general, you can reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. And I'm also on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'm on YouTube most Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sunday nights at 9.15 Eastern. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. Before you go, let me ask you, did this episode not completely fulfill your nighttime fix? Well, let me remind you that I'm busy on the Stereo app. I'm live often, chatting with strangers from around the world about topics similar to those discussed here on Nighttime. And I really hope you join me. Download the Stereo app right now and join me live this week. I'm at Stereo.com slash NighttimePod. Or, to make it a bit easier for you, you can simply click the link in the episode description. Join me on the Stereo app, and I'll see you there. Hey, how's it going? Doing great. Thanks. How about you? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, am I, is this Bitter Lollipop? Is that your name? Yeah, it's Bitter Lollipop, you know. Where are you at? Uh, Iran. Oh, Iran. Fantastic. Uh, your New Year is coming up soon, right? Your New Year celebration? Yeah. 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 Uh, nice um my i in canada i'm in canada there's lots of iranians here but my martial arts instructor is from iran so he uh has been telling us a lot about his plans to celebrate the new year which is i guess a very a very big deal in iran yeah i think um most (laughs) of uh people in iran uh, when want to migrate uh they Mm -hmm. they go to uh, canada you know my martial arts instructor told me this story about like it's tradition to go door to door with like a, a bowl and a spoon collecting treats or something on New Year. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Um, but what's your life like? What do you do? What do you mean by that? Um, like what? What do you do? You have kids? Do you work? Like what? What occupies your time in life? Uh, you know, uh, I'm only seventeen years old. Oh. Yeah. So that's all. But, that's all coming in the future. Do you, Do you use stereo often, or are you new here? Yeah, uh, I installed this app a few days ago. Yeah. Do you like it so far? Yeah. I, yeah, I installed that uh, to improve my speak skill. Uh, oh, you're very good. What is your native language? Uh. Mm, Absolutely Persian, you know, because I'm living in Iran. Okay. How did you learn English in school? Uh, you know, in Iran, uh, yeah, they teach uh, English in a school, but uh, you won't, uh, you won't uh, teach very well. You should take class. Yeah. Well, using 
an app like Stereo will will help uh, get you experience talking to people in English. 